Welcome back to the Dante's Divine Comedy Podcast. Hope you're having a great morning and a great day. My name is Richard. I will be your host today. And first of all, a big thank you to all our new listeners and our Patreon supporters who are funding this podcast. And in this episode, we are going to talk about a big topic, which is the 1200s in Florence. So this goes before the letters that we've been uh, presenting now in the previous episodes. And we just want to outline the main events of the 1200s, because this is really important to get a bigger the bigger context, the bigger background of, of Dante's time, both when he grew up and kind of the, what leads up to his exile in 1302. So we're going to see how Florence is growing as a city. This is also very much kind of European history with the growth of cities in then the 11 and 1200s. So a sort of an overall title for this episode would be the rise of the merchant class because this is very much what is happening in Florence that you get uh, a commerce in the city as it grows and then you get the rich merchants and then you get a new class of people with influence and you get this rivalry between the old aristocrats and the new merchants. So this is driving much many of the events in the 1200s. So a couple of other things then with Florence, like it grows as a city and it also links up with the uh, Francigena Road, which is boosting the economy. So this is a huge medieval trade route that went from Canterbury in England through France, over the Alps, into Italy and all the way down to Rome. So this is one of the big moves from Florence that it linked itself into that. The road goes in... Uh, more or less in a straight line from Lucca to Siena, if you have the map. So it's a bit, like Florence is a bit on the side, but they linked into it and then that boosted their economy. So we're going to now look at what is happening from after these, these, these beginnings and then see how, in some ways, we're going to look at the three major parts of the 1200s. So in the beginning, you have uh, what is called the rise of the rich merchants or magnati or the grandi as the Italians uh, call it and then grandi means just the big ones so they are rising and they're also marrying into the ancient aristocracy so this is important to have as another part of the backdrop here that it's a little bit blurred because the old noble aristocrats and the new rising merchants are sometimes blending also because you have the rich dynasties and some of the old aristocrats also turn into becoming merchants. So this is all in a transitional phase of history here. But also then in the beginning of the 1200s, you have more and more people coming in from the countryside into the cities, like now in this case Florence, uh, for opportunities, for the commerce, also for protection uh, within the city walls as well. And this also, just to give a a bigger view of other parts of this, you also get the mendicant orders, kind of the, the traveling monks of the Franciscans and the Dominicans at this time at the, in the, from the early 1200s. Uh, it's also interesting, it's a little bit on the side, but the Franciscans, they stayed at Prato di Onisanti and the place where you have today uh, the church of Santa Croce, which was, uh, they began to build this in 1294. So, it's interesting because Santa Croce is still the, the main church of the Franciscans. And then Dominicans, they, uh, they stayed at the place where you now have Santa Maria Novella, which is very close to the main train station 
of uh, Florence is the first thing you see when you get out of, <laughs> of the train station is the kind of the backside of the Santa Maria Novella. And that became the church of the Dominicans. So these were churches that grew gradually into basilicas with a piazza in front of them. And uh, this was outside of what was the city walls at the time. So this is a brief backdrop of, of the architecture <laughs> part of Florence. And then we're going to start on the political events with the Guelph and the Ghibellines. This is a very complicated topic and it's a big topic. And when it comes to Italy, you have at least three different forces at once. So the first one is the, the feud that is imported from Germany, kind of from the, from the German Roman Holy Empire, between the Welfen and the Weiblingen, with like two, two dynasties in Germany. They start a feud and they have the allegiance to the Pope and to the Emperor. So that is the source of the, the words, Guelph and Ghibellines, the names. So that is one conflict. The other one in Florence is between the nobles, the old aristocrats, and the merchants, the rising merchant class. That's another dynamic. And the third part is just families, family feuds and dynasties in, in Florence in itself who have these... Uh, ancient feuds going and they that also plays into this because sometimes it's a little bit um, it's almost a bit random which like where the allegiance of one of those rich families and powerful families who they make their allies with it depends on whichever gives them more power so these three forces are, are working all at once in Italy and then especially now in Florence so we're going to look now at what is considered the whole spark of the troubles in Florence in the 1200s with uh, a, a feud between two families, the Amadei and the Buon del Monti. So this is then referenced as the spark that starts the, the Guelph and Ghibelline uh, civil war eventually. So the story is that you have a young man called Buon del Monte de Buon del Monti, who was planned to marry a daughter from the Amadei family. But then he leaves her on the day of their wedding, which was very much driven by Gualdrada Donati, who had a daughter, and then Buon del Monte wanted to marry the Donati daughter instead. So he leaves her at at the wedding day, and this is a big, big insult to the Amadei family. So this happens in 2015. And then in 2016, Easter, the Amadei kills Buondel Monte. And this starts a big feud between those two families and also creates this the conditions for the bigger civil war and strife in Florence. So we're going to read just a couple of uh, examples of how this was described, first by Dante and then by Villani. So Dante writes about this in uh, Paradiso in chapter 16, Canto 16. So he says there, uh, this is through the voice of his great-great-grandfather Caccia Guida. So he says, The house that was the source of all your tears, whose just resentment was the death of you and put an end to all your joy of life. <laughs> 
this is the house is then the Amadei family, which is the source because of the, the murder. But he also says the just resentment, which then led to all the events that eventually uh, would put Dante into the middle of this, the, the political fights and then into exile. And he continues, uh, was highly honored as were all its clan. Oh, Buon del Monte, wrong you were to flee the nuptials at the promptings of another. So then Buon del Monte, who is leaving at the wedding day because he wants to marry a Donati daughter instead. Many who now are sad would have been pleased if the divine had let the Ima drown you when you started for our city the first time. So this is when the family of Buon del Monte moved to Florence, they crossed the river called Ima, and then Dante or Cacciaguida is then suggesting that if only this, the young Buon del Monte had drowned in the river, these events might not have started or played out the way they did. How fitting for Florence to sacrifice a victim to the mutilated stone that guards her bridge to mark the end of peace. So this is the, uh, there was a statue of Mars at the end of Ponte Vecchio where Bondermonte was murdered. And then in front of them, kind of a statue of the, the patron at the time for Florence, the war god of Mars, this is where you had this this event that starts the civil war in the city. And you can see today, if you go to Florence on the on the main side, like the main city side of, of uh, Ponte Vecchio, there's a plaque where it says, Conveniasi a quella pietra schema che guarda il ponte che Fiorenza fesse vittima nella sua pace postrema. So this is then the same, this passage we just read from, from the Paradise, which is like, how how convenient or how fitting on this um, this stone this damaged stone was the, the remnant of the of the Mars statue that guarded the bridge that Florence made you a victim uh, in its uh, long lasting peace until that that day that event referring then to that Buon del Monte was made the victim so that's uh, that's something you can see if you go to Florence and. Uh, we're going to also look at how this is described by Villani. There's a short excerpt because the language is very interesting. So Villani wrote the story of Florence uh, from around 1320. So he's kind of a contemporary of Dante. And he, he creates this record of, of so many of the events. So he says there, And so it was done. For on the morning of Easter resurrection, the Amadei family came to the house from Santo Stefano, and coming from the Oltrarno area, meaning the other side of Arno, the river, the said Sir Buondelmonte, dressed nobly in new white clothes and on a white horse, coming down at the foot of the Ponte Vecchio on this side, just below the pillar where the statue of Mars was, the said Sir Buondelmonte was knocked off his horse by Schiatta degli Uberti and by Mosca Lamberti and Lambertuccio degli Amedei, and by Odrigo Fifanti. His veins were cut and he was taken to his end. For this, the city ran to arms and died. And this death of Sir Bondelmonte was the cause and beginning of the ill-fated Guelph and Ghibelline parties in Florence. So this is the, the words from Villani. 
it's, it's a really nice language in Italian when he says, Mestre Buon del Monte, vestito nobilmente di nuovo di roba tutto bianca. Like he's nobly dressed in, in an outfit in all white. In su un palafreno bianco on a white horse, coming on foot across the bridge. So, these are the events from the beginning of the 1200s. This is going to part one of, of also this, this episode with the spark and the beginnings. And then we're going to move to the middle of the 1200s where you have the big clashes between the Guelph and the Ghibelline factions in the city. So this is driven uh, in part by the German Emperor Frederick II, Federico II. So he sends his son, so we're now in the 1240s, he sends his son, Frederick of Antioch, to Florence in support of the Ghibelline faction. The Guelph respond to this and they demand reforms in 1244. So this is again like Emperor and the papacy, but it's also the merchants versus the aristocrats. The Ghibellines then respond with creating the guilds to give a little bit of, of influence to the merchants, the guilds, the arts. And also they get representatives along with the Podesta, which is the head of the city. So then Frederick of Antioch becomes the Podesta in 1246. And he's a very strong ruler. He's part of the plan from Federico II, the emperor. Who He's both like in Germany, but he's also king of, of uh, south of, of Italy and, and Sicily. So he, Frederick of Antioch, crushes an uprising from the Guelphs in Florence. And then he expels all the Guelphs from the city. And the Ghibellines are in full charge of Florence in 1248. And then especially the Uberti family. And the Guelphs stay in the countryside and then they have contacts with the papacy. So this is the first big move that just the Ghibellines take control of Florence. And then just two years later, in September 1250, the Guelphs party start an attack on the Florentine army. And one month later, they take the city, they drive out Federico, like Frederick of Antioch and the Ghibellines out of the city. And then you get a decade of what is called the Popolo Vecchio or Primo Popolo, which means then first the people or the people first. And then you get a new system of governance. So this kind of this incremental gradual change of the governance of the city, which reflects the rise of the merchant class. So now you suddenly have two systems of governance. One is the municipality with the Podesta and two councils, which was the old system. And then the new system is that the people are represented by a captain and two new councils, uh, one with 12 elders chosen by the military and one with 24 representatives from the guilds, the arts. And then they had the, the structure was that the captain and the elders had the executive and legislative powers, but at the same time, the laws had to be ratified by the two Podesta councils. So meaning that the, the new system had the executive and legis legislative powers, but it also had to be, uh, it had to be approved by the, the old system. So this then reflects the growing power of the merchants through the guilds. And you also have a growing distrust towards the aristocrats who could at this point be both factions. They could be both mostly just nobility or they could also be merchants and they could 
they could um, sympathize with kind of the the papacy or the emperor. So the citizens at this point don't yet call themselves Guelphs. It's more like you have the people, and then you have the Guelphs, and then you have the Ghibellines. And it's also interesting that at this point, when you get to this uh, this decade of of the Primo Popolo, they cut off all the towers of the nobilities in the city, which was kind of this uh, symbol of their prestige and status. Uh, they were cut off and lowered as uh, a way, very like <laughs> huge symbolic significance, also moral significance, to kind of lower the power and and the kind of the dominion of of the noble families that had been dominating up to that point. So, and also in 1255, Il Bargello is, um, they start building Il Bargello, which was called the Palazzo del Popolo. If you see, the, it's a, another beautiful building in Florence. So this is the decade of Primo Popolo. It's an, uh, ec- the economy is flourishing. And then in 1252, we get the gold florin, which is important because this is the first gold currency in the Western Europe. And the florin spreads all over Europe and all around the Mediterranean as well. So this is the, the middle decade, often the 1200s. And then from 1260, things the pendulum goes back a little bit. The Ghibellines take control of the city. So you have a war on Florence with three main driving forces here. You have the Ghibellines in exile. You have the rivalry with Siena and Pisa. And you also have the king of Sicily, Manfred of Swabia. So those three elements come together. You have the Battle of Montaperti in September of 1260, and the Ghibellines are decisively winning. So they take the city, they expel all the Guelphs, and they destroy all their houses. And then also the the vicar of, of the, like the representative of King Manfred, wants to raise the whole city to the ground in 1264, but this is stopped by the Uberti family, who were one of the main Ghibelline families. So with this event in 1260, the Ghibellines and nobles are sort of back. They're, they're fully back in the control of the city, and it seems like they have certainly the momentum. But then just three years later, the papacy intervenes, and the Pope excommunicates the Ghibellines in Florence and Siena as a part of the Pope's plan to replace King Manfred in Sicily with Charles of Anjou, who is the son of the French king. And this excommunication is important because it meant that every Christian Florentine could not then and wouldn't then pay taxes to anyone who was excommunicated. So that that removed all the power for anyone who was a Ghibelline to get revenues from the taxes. And what happens then is that the big commercial companies in Florence are starting to make special deals with the Pope which is then a way for the Pope to increase his power in Florence. And then you have, just three years after this, the Guelphs get back into control. And then they stay in control for the rest of the century. So in 1266, Manfred, King Manfred of Sicily is defeated in Benevento. So then the people of Florence are rising up again and they drive out the Ghibellines. And then you get a new government with a growing Guelph influence. Uh, So... And that was established, and the people in Guelphs are still two different things. Uh, And this new government was sealed by Charles of Anjou, the new king of Sicily, 
as he was the Podesta in Florence in 1267. So lots of names and, and years here, but the main point is just that now, in 1266, the Guelph get the control back, and it stays like that. So that is the second part of this episode with all the events in the middle part of the 1200s. And then we're going to look at the third part, which is a new form of government. So this comes towards the end of, of the Duecento, as the Italian call it, like the 1200s. So in 1280, you have many Ghibellines starting to return into the city. This is kind of then about 15 years after they were all expelled. And they have a few things in their favor. There's a new emperor, Rudolf of Habsburg. The Ghibellines are in power in Romagna. And you also have the Sicilian Vesper in Sicily, where the king uh, of Anjou is driven out in 1282. This is a separate event which is hugely important, especially in Sicily, uh, because this was a moment where they, um, they had an uprising against the French rulers, and then for a brief time they were uh, fully independent after centuries of being occupied by different different powers, and then they will also soon be <laughs> occupied by new ones. Sicily has been ruled by so many like Romans and Greeks and French and Spanish and Normans and also like Italians as they see it now. And it's still, so we spent the summer in Sicily uh, about 15 years ago, and then they still talk about this Vesper in 1282 as this symbol of, of the Sicilian uh, spirit of independence. So it's a kind of a very living history in Sicily. So, Back to then Florence, to curb this growing uh, momentum for the Ghibellines, the people in Florence introduce a couple of new measures. For example, the institution of the priors of the guilds or the arts in 1282. So now we see the first kind of, this is where Dante is going to come in uh, soon. And you had the Gonfalonier, who was chosen by the guilds, and you had the council, and then you had also the military as, as advisors. And when with this priorate, when you had different different uh, issues and cases being being discussed by the priors, the the people involved in this were also called in for advice and for a dialogue with the council. So this increased further the power of the guilds and the merchants during the 1280s. And then a couple of final big events of this century is then. In 1289, you have the big Battle of Campaldino, where Dante is a soldier and he's just 24 years old. And this becomes the definite defeat of the Ghibellines. So, just for the military history interest people, um, the numbers for this battle, the Guelphs had 1,600 cavalries and 10,000 infantries. This was then mostly Florence, Siena and Lucca. The Ghibellines had eight. 100 cavalry and 8,000 infantry. And the casualties was that there were 300 dead for the Guelphs and 1,700 for the Ghibellines and 1,000 prisoners. So this is uh, the, the main event that finally defeats the, the Ghibellines. And Dante has one little passage in the Inferno where you just get a little bit of a feeling of his memory of this battle where he says, and this is uh, Canto 22 in the Inferno, he says, I have seen troops of horsemen breaking camp, opening the attack or passing in review. I have seen them fleeing for their lives. I have seen scouts ride, exploring your terrain, 
O Aretines, and I have seen raiding parties and the clash of tournaments, the run of jousts, to the tune of trumpets, to the ring of clanging bells, to the roll of drums, to the flash of flares on ramparts, to the accompaniment of every known device. This is just opening of this canto and uh, it's just describing the, the atmosphere and the memory of Dante. Also, Aretines is then the name of the people from Arezzo, where the, the other side of the battle. So that was 1289. And then the last from the 1290s, in 1292, you have uh, a new form of government again, or kind of a, there's a gradual change kind of continually here, but then you get this new document called Ordinamenti di Giustizia, like the Ordinance of Justice. This is a watershed moment in Florentine history as well. Because this was a, a massive move where they, to stop the interference of the powerful dynasties and the, kind of the nobles, the aristocrats. So they designated a class of magnates. And then they put 40 noble families on the list and soon 70 families a few months later with a complete exclusion from all political offices and the guilds. And the offices were only for people enrolled in the guilds. So this is completely shutting out the families, the dynasties on this list from any political influence. And you also get the Gunfolonier of Justice with a civil army of 1,000 soldiers. So this is also a way of the people to get their own army. So the armies are not just um, the ones that are owned sort of from the, from the, the rich families. So this was 1292. Three years later, you get a softening of this. So some magnates then rejoin the government. And then the head of this reform that had happened, Giano della Bella, he is exiled with the suspicion that he wanted to become the Lord of Florence. So it was seen as that this very massive move towards all like, of these 70 big families was a part of like the head of the reform, just wanted to create a new government with himself as the, the, the sole leader. So it was also seen as sort of a silent pact between the people and then the Guelph aristocracy to let them a little bit back in again. And the people and the merchants especially, they also needed the alliances with the Pope and the King of France for their trade purposes. And at this again, the categories of the Guelph, the Ghibelline, the aristocrats, the merchants have become very blurred. But at this point also, anyone who was seen to be against the people were then designated the magnates and then they were uh, significantly limited from their influence. So it's an, an overall move of making the, the people and the merchants more in power of the city and then you see kind of the decline of the old nobility and the aristocrats. So that's the the backdrop and the setup for Dante's entry into the Priorate in the summer of 1300. At the turn of the century, that's when Dante is 35 or 36 years old, and then he comes into this Priorate of six priors, and he's sort of just put in the middle of, of these tensions that are still there, and also especially with the Donati family, who who become the, the leaders of the of the the black Guelphs when the Guelphs split into two, which is we described in the previous episodes. Uh, so you see how it 
it looks peaceful in 1300 when Dante becomes the prior or one of the six priors, but it's still big forces kind of moving under the surface uh, that he will get caught up in. So uh, to sum it up, you have the spark with the Buon del Monte in, in 1215, 1216. Then you have the middle part with the back and forth and just like a growing influence of the merchants and the rise of the merchant class. And then you have the last part, which is sort of the final defeat of the Ghibellines and this Battle of Campaldino. So the overall uh, overall movement is just more power to the merchants and more power to the people. And the nobles and the dynasties are trying to maintain their power. So uh, just as an as a even bigger context or kind of backdrop for this is that it's important to understand Dante, to understand the 1200s, because then you know about the world that he grew up in. So these events, this century is the first 35 years of Dante's life. So that, this is what shapes him in so many ways. And then in 1302, he's thrust into exile. He stays in exile for about 20 years, and that becomes the second part of his life. And that's when he do, he's doing more studies of philosophy, of theology. He writes three more books, prose books, Convivio, Monarchia, Vulgaria Eloquencia. He writes all the letters, some more poetry, and then also he writes the Divine Comedy over about 14 years. So that's all we wanted to say in this episode about the 1200s and the, the first part of Dante's life and the growth of the city and the rise of the merchants in Florence. So with that, if you made it so far, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for the company and uh, hope you're still having a great day and maybe a great morning. And as always, thank you so much for listening and see you again in another episode.